Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the About to Review podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on any platform that it is on. Whatever one you're listening to right now, uh, definitely subscribe and rate if it is possible. On this episode, I am going to be reviewing the new film, The Northman, directed by Robert Eggers and written by Robert Eggers and Icelandic writer Sion, who I am probably butchering that. I looked up so many different YouTube videos trying to find people who pronounce his name. So I saw a couple that were Sion. I, I, if it is wrong and my Icelandic listeners correct me, I would be totally fine with that. So, before I get into my review of that, we will go to the original theme song created by Damon Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. As I mentioned, The Northman is directed by Robert Eggers, the, whew, the the indie darling Robert Eggers, who for this movie was given his biggest budget and kind of his biggest task to date. His previous two films, The Witch and The Lighthouse, which are two of my favorite films to come out uh, in the past decade, are just incredible period piece films. And in this movie, The Northman, he does it again uh, by doing a period piece in a very challenging situation. Uh, this one, of course, is a Viking epic from the kind of prehistory of the Viking age, which what is fascinating about kind of the modern obsession with Viking Vikings, I should say. We have like two TV shows about it that have been going on for a long time. And one of the fascinating things is there is, oddly enough, not that much, comparatively, of Viking culture to study and artifacts to study compared to other ancient civilizations. That kind of blows my mind that like some of the first times we get... Viking stories or stories about Vikings written down is only like 700 AD. They had been around for a long time and in Norway and other parts of Scandinavia and just the Nordic countries. But we only really get writing about them in the 700s. And those writings were from Christians who were getting slaughtered all the time. So, mm, you can kind of lead that that leads to some negative perceptions of these people that we know as Vikings when the stories are written by people who are just getting demolished by them. So again, what is what is interesting when you do Viking stories is you can kind of get away with a lot. And by that, I mean, you can have a lot of creative license and, and you know, 
The show Vikings, they definitely take a lot of creative license. But what Robert Eggers and his co-writer, Sion, did, and Sion is Icelandic, like I mentioned, is they did tedious amounts of archaeological research. They met with historians. They met with authentic writers. Or when I say authentic writers, I mean writers of this who are known for trying to translate things from this time period because that is the other thing. When it comes to Old Norse and the runic alphabet or the runic language that we kind of associate with that age and that time, we also do not have much of that. And so you get these modern interpretations of current historians and archaeologists being like, okay, uh, this is kind of my interpretation of this. This is my translation of this. It is not like there was a Rosetta Stone like we found in ancient Egypt. Where it was like, oh my gosh, all of these pictographs with hieroglyphics and all of this language. What does all of it mean? Oh yeah, flip it around. It is the translation in Greek, which a bunch of people already knew how to do. There really is not that for a lot of the Viking Age. So I say all of that preamble to say that Robert Eggers did so much research and his whole team did so much research to create this Viking epic, this brutal, bloody, violent Viking epic that is very similar to, you know, Hamlet, a lot of the same themes there. So we have Alexander Skarsgård playing Emleth, who basically the entire movie is out for revenge. Revenge for his father, revenge for his mother, against his uncle. Everything he does in the movie leads us to that point. All the decisions he makes, all of the journeys he goes on, that is the crux. Just revenge. However he can get it, with whatever help he can get along the way, that is where we go. So, along with Alexander Skarsgård, we have Nicole Kidman, Ethan Hawke, Anya Taylor-Joy, Willem Dafoe, uh, Kla... <laughs> And again, I, I apologize for some of these names. I believe his name is Klaus Bang, C-L-A-E-S. Uh, he was in the Dracula show on Netflix from a couple years ago. That is what I most recognize him from. That Dracula show, by the way, man, I really wish I had liked more of it. Uh, the last episode just completely went off the rails when I was really, really digging it. But regardless, uh, he is in this as well, along with a whole bunch, just a stacked cast of other Nordic folks, Icelandic folks, including Bjork, who Bjork is a phenomenal musician who does not really do anything she does not want to do, <laughs> be that an interview, be that a film, music, whatever it is. So to see her in this, it obviously meant that she saw something in it that she wanted to be a part of. And in my research uh, for this film, turns out her and Sion have known each other for years. So that definitely helped, helped get her into this film. But along the way with this Viking epic, we see some of Egger's typical amazing camera work. The single camera long takes, which especially in a film like this, which has battle scenes, which has these scenes where the camera is just moving seamlessly, it pulls you in in just such a unique and visceral way 
and it makes you feel a part of it as opposed to a steady cam, as opposed to tripod shots or multiple cuts going between characters. When we get the single camera movement, it is so much more authentic and so much more grounded. And I love Edgar's approach of doing that. He has done this again in his previous two films, The Witch and The Lighthouse. In this one, I feel like it really shined. I think because there was just so much more action to follow in this versus like The Lighthouse. Again, when he is locked on, and you can go back and listen to my review of The Lighthouse. Uh, I believe Adam Gerke was with me on that episode where <laughs> Robert Eggers will just sit with the camera and let the action, let the scene develop in front of your eyes. So in The Lighthouse, we get these long monologues from Willem Dafoe, these Shakespearean monologues where he is just bearing his soul. And that is just tremendous. In The Witch, we get the same things where it just it pulls you into that time period in a grounded way. And I said something really bold to the PR rep uh, when I came out of the out of the press screening for this. And they always ask us for our first thoughts, first impressions. I said that Robert Eggers is quickly becoming, in my opinion, our generation's Kurosawa when it comes to period pieces. When it comes to doing these things and making these choices where all of these worlds that we go to with Robert Eggers feel lived in. They feel authentic. And part of that, again, comes back to that research and the history that he does for these films, whether it is the handmade costumes, whether it is the type of tools they use, whether it is the type of architecture they would have. I mean, that whole package that he puts together for these three films is is just phenomenal. And a huge credit to, and I, I pulled him up. Let me uh, find him again. Do, 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 do. The cinematographer for for this movie is another cinematographer is another person I should say that Eggers has been with since the beginning since the beginning since the beginning and I was looking at his name which is Jaren or Jaren Blaschke he was a cinematographer for The Witch and The Lighthouse among other things he, I mean the things that they are able to do like this is an incredible duo. Uh, but okay, enough enough with the technical things, which I could talk about a lot, uh, because those are the things that I really just kind of nerd out on. Uh, but to the cast itself and all of these characters, so we get Nicole Kidman and and Ethan Hawke as Alexander Skarsgård's parents, uh, and all of the chemistry between the characters seems to work. And I say seems to work because I wish that we had more time with some of them. So, I mean, again, I told you in the beginning, this is a revenge film and Alexander Skarsgård is going out for revenge for his mother and father. You can kind of assume that they do not last long, you know, in the beginning of this film. And so, you know, Ethan Hawke was good and we do get those moments where he is just going all out. And again, Robert Eggers likes to give his characters the ability and the freedom to do that. He did that with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy in The Witch, Ethan Hawke in this, I mean, along with other people. But one of the first scenes that we really kind of get immersed into this world, we see Ethan Hawke and the child version of Amleth, along with Willem Dafoe in this hallucinogenic kind of metamorphosis where they are becoming wolves, which is kind of their 
one of the animals they're trying to embody to get strength for the things they have to do. And this is a, again, just visceral scene of, you know, Ethan Hawke nearly naked along with this act, other child actor, along with Willem Dafoe. And they are growling. They're on the ground, rolling around with this fire going. And it just, it immediately pulls you in. And I, I was just, I was captivated. I was loving all of that. And the gorgeous cinematography, the way this is filmed, and oddly enough, maybe not oddly enough, unfortunately, I should say, they could not film as much of this in Iceland as they wanted to because they started principal photography in March of 2020. A little thing uh, happened around March of 2020 that shut down the planet, practically. So they had to do a lot of this filming when they were able to pick this back up. They had to do a lot of the filming in Ireland and other parts of the UK and find these kind of like craggy coasts and other scenery that they that they could basically replicate Iceland for. But the really smart thing they did, and I know I said I would not go into too much of the te technical things, but I'm doing it anyway, is they shot some plates. They shot some principal plates in Iceland just for like the backgrounds and everything like that. So then with the visual effects, what they were able to do once they shot in Ireland and they had the foreground and the midground done is they could layer in that background plate of Iceland and you had some of that depth there. So he did everything he could to, again, try and be as authentic as possible. He just, like a lot of filmmakers, was held back from everything that was going on in 2020. So... Where this was filmed does not matter as much as how it was filmed and who was there and everything interacting. The other thing that he does in this film or that the characters do is there are multiple versions of shamans or mystics or uh, I forget the term. What, what was Bjork's? It was like Cirrus, Cirrus, where, you know, these holy people in this ancient land who that is what the people of those land, this was your leader. This was your spiritual mystic leader. So they go to them for advice from everything from day-to-day -day things to then battle plans to everything else. And the various ways that they film these different mystics and these different spiritual leaders was fascinating. The score was done by, and I pulled this up again, uh, Sebastian Gainsborough. This combines authentic, kind of Nordic, Scandinavian tones and melodies and voice really, really well. Enough so that it, and it changes throughout the film, depending on where the characters go and who they interact with. But it all felt authentic. And again, comes back to that research. It's come back to the care that is put in by the whole creative team. Uh, and I will say, Alexander Skarsgård, who, again, most folks, you know, would know as, like, Eric Northman from True Blood, which is kind of funny that he is now in a movie called The Northman, uh, No Connection. They really found a way to get the best performance out of him. And I think a lot of that was similar to another favorite uh, film series of mine, the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, when you are filming in the mud and in the rain and in the wind and in the cold and you are filming people who are supposed to be miserable, uh, pretty easy.
to pull out performances like that. And Robert Eggers, in an interview a while ago, I think it was on Variety, talked about, you know, they did several takes of another metamorphosis scene of the adult Vikings, the berserkers, around this fire on some sort of mushroom concoction or some other sort of hallucinogenic compound. And as they're dancing and, and singing and just like growling and getting into this, and you can tell the filming of that sucked and was just really hard. And Eggers talked about how like they thought they got it all. They did multiple takes. They called it rap. Everybody, you were done for the day. Then they found out one of the mirrors was, or one of the lenses was fogged. And so before people left set, like as they were on the red, he was like, we got to do one more guys. Sorry, you got to. So they had to put back on the wet, cold costumes that they were just in for however long it took to take those to get those takes. And that plays that works. And that is why the original Lord of the Rings has so many great performances is because you have these characters who had to wear the same wet, cold, smelly, dank costumes all day. And sometimes you would show up the next day and they were not fully dry yet. So in this film, it brings that same type of raw authenticity to the performances. So that was something I really appreciated with Alexander Skarsgård. Anya Taylor-Joy is just great in, in everything. Uh, if Robert Eggers decided to just, every couple years, give us a movie with Anya Taylor-Joy and or Willem Dafoe, just pump it into my veins. Uh, she just is so good. Her character, they encounter her, you know, kind of the midway point of the film and then it, you know her character gets drawn out kind of as as the love interest in various ways uh willem defoe's character as another mystic another spiritual leader or kind of what becomes that i mean he initially is kind of a court jester and then in various ways they incorporate him later all of that works uh yeah uh, some of the other notes that i wrote down um let me see, because again, I could just go off on the technical things all day uh, because they were incredible. One thing I will say is that this movie is brutally violent, but it is brutally violent in a way that makes sense within the framework of the story. A lot of movies, they just go nuts. They go ham, showing you as much as they can show you. To me, it seems like for no reason. This, when you think about the ancient or kind of, yeah, ancient world and how brutal it was and the weapons they were using and the things they were doing, it, it was awful. It was terrible. And so the violence in this, as brutal as it is, it, it makes sense. I would, I am so much more okay with watching this type of violence, even though there are a couple parts that I kind of had to like turn away because it was really brutal. I'm okay with this more so than the torture porn of certain filmmakers like Eli Roth or something where they are just doing things to gross you out. They're doing things to push the boundary for no reason. This has a reason. This, the reason was to show you just how brutal things could have been. Uh, Bjork in this, like I mentioned, I'm pretty sure she just showed up on set wearing exactly what her character wears in this. And Eggers was like, all right, cameras are rolling and go. Uh, because Bjork is so weird and so amazing and so unique. And they gave her the ability to kind of like craft some of the things for her costume. 
she had some ideas. She came to them and they were like, sure, go for it. You are Bjork. You can do whatever you want. Uh, there was a character in this that I feel like maybe they cut some stuff. Uh, the actress is Kate Dickey and she was Lysa Aaron in the Game of Thrones TV show. She has been in a bunch of other things. This woman is built for period pieces. Certain actors, they just they fit the mold of a period piece so perfectly, and she is one of them, but you only really see her in the background of some shots, and she has maybe like one or two lines. So I feel like maybe through editing they they lost some of some of that, but that was okay. It was at least good to to see her in the background. Uh but yeah. So from the technical standpoint to the acting standpoint to the way the characters interacted was great. The climax of the film, I will say I was not as big of a fan of. Uh, and I, I'm not going to spoil it as to what it is, which also actually leads me to something that did bother me about this film. And it was not necessarily about the film, but it was about whatever firm the studio hired to cut the trailers. Robert Eggers is known for giving you just enough in the trailers and then there's something in the movie that is the twist, that is something that you're like, oh my God, where did this come from? The Witch, obviously, in the last 10 minutes when you get that, kind of blows your mind. In The Lighthouse, we get a little bit of that, but that story is much more grounded. But we still get a lot of those beats where you did not see it in the trailer. Whoever cut these trailers together did this film a massive disservice. They show you so many critical, important parts of the movie in the trailer. To the point where I was like, as the movie was going on, I was like, okay, I saw this. I saw this. I saw this. I saw this. And I only watched the first trailer, let alone the other trailers that have come out since then. And the movie comes out in a couple days. And they keep giving you more and more in the trailer. And I do not know why. The climax of this film, I would say like the final battle, the final type, the final conflict, I will say, is not in any of the trailers, which surprised me almost. Because I was like, with how I, with how much else they put in there. So that, again, I'm not putting that on Eggers. A lot of the times, especially with a film like this, this is one of the rare, this is actually the only Rager, the only Robert Eggers film where he did not get final cut, where he did not have the final say of the product that went out. His other two movies, working with A24, he had final cut. This type of movie, with the budget that he had, with the things he wanted to do, this was the first movie where he did not have final cut. So I have a feeling that, that the studio, uh, which I believe is Focus Features for this one, Again, they, they hired the wrong firm to, to cut the trailer together because it just, this is not the trailer you need for a movie like this to show everything. I, that, that made no sense to me. But regardless, uh, that has nothing to do with the movie itself. So yes, the costuming was incredible. The cinematography was incredible. The storyline, kind of as basic as it was, because this is a pretty basic revenge story, was still solid. The storytelling was solid. Um, I liked the weaponry in this, that he gets a particular weapon, you know, at a, at his part in this movie. And there's a really cool scene as to how he acquires that weapon. Loved that. 
I love this time period because it gives you the flexibility as a creator or as a creative person to, you know, with respect to all of the history, the geography, the culture, you have the freedom to do a lot of other things because there is not a lot of stories written down. A lot of the ones that we have written down were written hundreds of years after. So, you know, I like that he took the creative license with that while consulting with archaeologists and historians, which a lot of folks do not do when they do historic pieces. You do get a you get you do get some old Norse language in there. You get multiple languages actually spoken, uh, multiple ancient languages spoken. And that was pretty cool. Uh, Eggers again had talked about that he wished he could have done this in Old Norse, but not everybody has a budget and the gravitas of a terrible person named Mel Gibson who could do a movie in ancient Aramaic and the audience has just kind of embraced it. I would love, I would love if more filmmakers were given the freedom and the budget and the ability to do period pieces in the period appropriate language, but I understand that is really tough to do. So, okay. Uh, that kind of wraps it up for, for, for that, the rating system for this podcast, there are three choices, no letters, no stars. It is good, bad, or ugly. A good film was something you'd recommend to a friend. A bad film was just kind of blah, ugly, avoid at all costs. As you have noticed at, by this point, I am a huge Robert Eggers stan, like pump his creative works into my brain all the time. So, with that being said, I give this film a good. I was not necessarily blown away by this film like I was his other two films. His other two films, the first time I watched it through, whether it was at a press screening or on a screening DVD or whatever it was, as soon as it ended, I was thinking about it. I was contemplating it, and it made me want to watch it again. I gotta say with The Northman... This is his first film. I saw it at the press screening. I, I, I liked a lot about it. Did, my, did all my notes. Did my research for this episode. And I might not watch it again for a few months. Uh, or maybe longer. So it, it, was, it was very good. It was, yeah, as far as from a technical perspective. None of the performances took away from it. But something about the film just did not make me immediately want to rewatch it. So... You know, that is just me. But I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Uh, I definitely recommend you go and see it. And especially if you can see it in the theater, if you're comfortable going back to theaters. I've been saying that caveat in every episode since like last year. If you're comfortable being in a theater, go on like an afternoon matinee when there would be like three people in the theater. See it on a big screen. The sound design, the cinematography deserves to be seen in its full capacity if possible. So, yeah, uh, there was my review for The Northman by Robert Eggers. Uh, so for uh, this episode, or rather for this podcast, make sure to follow, rate, review, subscribe on any podcast platform that you are listening to this on. Thank you again for listening and spending time with me. I hope to get back more into the regular swing of things now that things are starting to kind of sort of get back to normal, at least for a little bit. So in the meantime... It is at About Review on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I have been your host, that guy named John, and I will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby.
get ourselves a treat.